Kooks house. All right. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Let's talk a little bit about the Kooks. You are Locked On Kooks, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Lockdown Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who can't stop by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That way you can make Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. Uh, we just passed 425 subscribers, so we are climbing. Thank you all for your support. Remember, we're doing another giveaway at 500 subscribers. Uh, the 250 went great, so at 500, doing another one. Uh, the Sparkle brand, which has some prominent location behind us, <laughs> is going to be giving away some stuff at 500. She gets a, a t shirt and some, uh, they clean glass and computer monitors and all kinds of stuff, so some good stuff from them. So make sure you Hit subscribe so we get to 500, and then uh, be commenting on the videos. That way you were entered to win, uh, to comment on the video. If you can't think of anything to say after today's talk about some alumni from the U of H, well, tell us, because uh, Martin Luther King Day, tell us if you've ever read Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And if the answer is no, I'm going to go ahead and recommend that you should. So today's episode is going to be a look at some alumni. I'm going to spend two whole segments looking at Andre Ware um, because of his impact on college football in light of Martin Luther King Day. Um, and then a third segment, we'll look at a couple guys that performed well to some degree over the NFL weekend in the playoffs. Um, if you're more of a U of H basketball guy, we will be previewing the Tulane basketball game tomorrow in Tuesday's episode because the game is Tuesday night. So stick around, enjoy some Cougar alumni talk, and I'll talk hoops tomorrow. But for this first segment, let's talk a little bit about Andre Ware. Uh, Andre Ware is, um, you know, probably the most historical person involved with U of H football, not Case Keenum. Uh, you know, I'm a Greg Ward fan. It's probably not Greg. Um, Clayton Toon had his own, you know, great five years on campus. Uh, we'll see what MHP does next, right? Uh, but on the whole, it's hard to overstate the impact of Andre Ware. So Andre came into the U of H um, in the late 80s, um, kind of at a, a down spot for the program. And we'll get to more of all of the kind of things he dealt with there in a moment. Um, but Andre Ware uh, was born in Galveston, played quarterback at Dickinson High School. Uh, Dickinson High School is kind of that, you know, in between right there between Houston and Galveston. And it's really like, uh, you know, I guess Tremont Mark on the basketball team is currently from there as well. Um, but it's kind of like right in our backyard. <laughs> and Houston lucked into the fact that he was right from their backyard because truthfully, he has openly admitted he wanted to go to the University of Texas. And, um, he didn't, obviously, because it sounds like Texas, in his words, uh, told him that he'd play defense. Quote, uh, had they just lied to me, I'd have gone, but they told me I'd play safety. <laughs> and so he don't want to go play safety there. He always said that his mom told him if he wanted to be a good pro quarterback, he could work hard and become a good pro quarterback. And Houston said, we think the same. Um, now, that sounds like a... I know it sounds like a simple story on the surface because we know how those college years went. Uh, Andre Ware went on to become the first black quarterback to win the Heisman. He threw for 4,699 yards 
in his junior season. Uh, the Houston Cougars broke all kinds of records that lasted a long, long and set records that lasted a long, long time with him running the show under center. I say under center. I guess a lot of the gun stuff too. Um, but in high school, he completed just one touchdown pass in his senior year. Um, he ran more of a triple option style offense and he was kind of new to this whole throwing the football thing. And so, you know, I'm not going to give that burn orange school in Austin too much credit, but they thought he was a safety for what it's worth. Um, you know, Texas did this to a couple guys. They told Johnny Manziel he'd be a safety. They told Robert Griffin, the third, he'd be a wide receiver. Um, some of the ultimate irony to me, in all this is that, uh, the only national championship that the Texas Longhorn football team has won since the integration of their football team was with a black quarterback from Houston. But that's neither here nor there. Um, in college, once he got to the third war, um, third war, he did come in as a veer style quarterback. Um, and John Jenkins, the Houston offensive coordinator, was a run and shoot lifetime guy. He ran it with the Houston Gamblers of the USFL. Um, he succeeded Mouse Davis when he was at the Houston Gamblers. Mouse Davis is like one of those like iconic run and shoot air raid kind of guys, and kind of people delineate the Mouse Davis line of the run and shoot air raid kind of stuff, or the How Mummy run and shoot air raid kind of stuff. And that's kind of like two big splits in the tree. How Mummy kind of goes into more of the Mike Leach, where we get Dana Hogerson from. Uh, Mouse Davis kind of goes into more of the June Jones kind of era, and uh, John Jenkins, the Houston OC at the time, came from that lineage. Um, as he comes into the U of H, uh, where ends up being the starter as a sophomore in 1988, throws for 2,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, and just eight picks. And then as a junior, is the big 4,699 yards, 46 touchdowns, just 15 interceptions. When you throw the ball that much, that's not a whole lot of picks. 152.5 QBR. Uh, the Cougars went 9-2 and two on the year. And it got down to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And he has all of those stats. No one's even remotely close. And it, everyone's looking around like, what's going to happen when it comes to Heisman Trophy? He's one of the five guys that's a finalist. And everyone's looking around at it. And sure enough, he wins with just over 38% of the vote. Now, I don't want to put this all in the fact that he was a black quarterback, but he was the first black quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy. And so I think that that is somewhat important in telling the story because I don't think that stat line, even in modern football for a team that goes nine and two in a major conference like the Southwest conference was, would be a, it'd be a no brainer, right? <laughs> like, like we just saw what Caleb Williams did. Obviously Caleb Williams' stats are a little bit more bumped up, but it's also like a different era of college football. Um, and like we've fine tuned the, these offenses and things more over the you know last three decades. <laughs> um, and instead he was kind of like in people biting their nails and, you know, holding their breath and he ended up getting over, just over 38% of the vote winning. Um, he would go on as far as his playing career goes to uh, get drafted seventh overall by the uh, Detroit Lions and head coach Wayne Fontes. Uh, Wayne was a, a player's coach by all intents and purposes and Mouse Davis, the same Mouse Davis from before, uh, ends up being his offensive coordinator in Detroit. Uh, June Jones, who would later go on to coach a handful of places, Hawaii, SMU, stuff like that, um, be a run and shoot kind of guy. I was a quarterback coach. Uh, they weren't going to play Andre Ware's a rookie. Rookie quarterbacks didn't play a whole lot. That was just the MO of the league. Um, I mean, you, you had what they put Steve Young on ice for three years, right? Uh, like that, like that's just the way the, the league goes. Um, Mouse Davis and his air raid um, would later leave um, to go on and coach elsewhere. Um, I, I think it's worth pointing out that 
that Mouse Davis, June Jones system might have been perfect for where had they stayed. However, um, it, uh, Mouse Davis took a head coaching job in the Upstart Football League, want to be a head guy in charge. Um, and for what it's worth, June Jones was on, uh, went from being a quarterback coach at Detroit to being the offensive coordinator in Atlanta before his career kind of took off in the head coaching ranks as well. Once those guys were gone and Detroit was not running the air raid, Andre Ware never really got a fair shake or fair chance. He had just six total starts in his uh, four seasons in Detroit. Um, some of the scouting department, for what it's worth, also resigned shortly after uh, they drafted June, after they drafted Andre, and uh, kind of a pretty heavy indication that they weren't necessarily in favor of the pick or of the selection. Um, so, you know, that's the way that goes, I guess. Uh, a bounce around career, had a brief stint where he tried to get some playing time in Jacksonville, ended up getting to play a little bit in Canada. Um, Andre Ware did find some team success in Toronto, where he played behind Doug Flutie for offensive coordinator John Jenkins. Yes, the same John Jenkins that was his offensive coordinator at University of Houston was the offensive coordinator of the Toronto Argonauts, where he played behind Doug Flutie. Um, he only got to throw 26 times. He was 15 for 26, 193 yards and two touchdowns. Also had six rushes for 60 yards and a touchdown in, in that season. Um, but Flutie was the captain of the offense, was the CFL's most outstanding player. Uh, you know, 5,000 yards, 47 touchdowns. Team went 15 and three and won the Grey Cup, the Super Bowl of Canada. And so while Andre Ware was a part of a really, really talented team there, it was not his show. He was just kind of there to kind of help teach and guide the offense because he knew Jenkins and those kinds of things. Um, in a moment, we're going to come in and talk some about his impact on college football as a whole, because I think Andre Ware is one of the most impactful college football players ever to a set foot on third ward, but maybe to also come through the, the state of Texas. Right. Um, but, but first let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn jobs. Now LinkedIn jobs is the place to go for all of your, uh, Hiring needs as a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond the resume's data by using insights from your job post company and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs the number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free post your job to link uh, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply um so i mentioned i think that andre ware is one of the most impactful college football players of all time and i think that's because a he demonstrated you can have team success and kind of punch above your weight class if you have the right guy to run this air raid or you know full wide receiver i think he probably call it more of a run and shoot style of offense right it was the first team success you're seeing of that in the late 80s and um you know admittedly 
it kind of took a gamble of sorts. It took a gamble on that Andre Ware was not a passing quarterback coming out of high school. It took a gamble on the fact that Houston is going to hire these this coaching staff with uh, John Jones, uh, John Jenkins, I'm sorry, coming in. Uh, uh, anyway, June Jones, John Jenkins, uh, with uh, John Jenkins coming in because they were kind of still reeling off of some earlier trouble they'd gone through. Um, the University of Houston, after uh, 20, after, <laughs> after 19, 86 was in a whole lot of trouble. They'd won the Southwest conference in 1976, 78, 79 and 84 with kids who previous head coach Bill Yeoman had allegedly been directly handing cash to a whole bunch of recruiting issues, violations going on in the state of Texas at that time across all colleges. I mean, we all know about what happened at SMU, but Yeoman kind of had his own thing going at Houston as well. And uh, he got hit with 250 violations. He actually had uh, been asked to resign by the university. And so Houston kind of saved themselves from the death penalty kind of thing that SMU got. Um, Houston was not allowed to play on TV in 1989 and had just 15 scholarships that year and 20 the next year. And uh, the violations that kind of impact the team after uh, Andre Ware came through really kind of sunk the program from 1991 to 2004. They had just two winning seasons in that 13-year window, but they didn't sink the program while Andre Ware was there. They won nine games, again, with a team with very limited scholarships. They won nine games without being on television for anyone to see it. They were playing in the Astrodome, so I guess you go watch them that way. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the big show that college football is now because it wasn't allowed to be. Um and Andre Ware showed that you could win games, kind of punching away your weight class, didn't have a bunch of scholarship kids. And they went out and played Texas tooth and nail. They played Tech tooth and nail. They played Arkansas. They played all these teams down to the wire, if not blowing several out. Um, I think one of the losses was like AM that year, which I guess would be a big blue blood kind of college football program. But also, like, they were competitively in that game with a one score game. So, like, those kinds of things showed that this is a system that would work. And Andre Ware is the focal point of it, right? He then wins the Heisman, and he's the first black quarterback to win the Heisman in 1989. Um, now, I think that it's probably easy for a millennial like myself, born in 1991, to think about that as like, oh, black quarterbacks win the Heisman all the time. Because since then, nine black quarterbacks have won the Heisman. And then if you also factor in that one Samoan quarterback in Marcus Mariota and one Cherokee Nation quarterback in Sam Bradford have won it, a third of Heisman Trophy winners since Andre Ware have been non-white quarterbacks. And I, I, I think that that is emblematic of the shift in how people appreciate and approach college football as a more diverse landscape, all because of the work that Andre Ware had to put in just to find somewhere to play quarterback, right? I don't think it's any, it's kind of like, like set in the stars kind of thing where, the university hit in his backyard gets hit with these sanctions because of Yeoman right before he's looking for somewhere to play quarterback. And so they'll take anyone they can because people don't want to come play for Houston. And he shows up and balls out. Uh, that Houston team was also the first team to have a 4,000 yard passer, obviously in where they had a thousand yard rusher and check Chuck Weatherspoon uh, who led the NCAA in yards per attempt in 1989 uh, would only play one year in Tampa before going to Canada. And then they had a 1,000-yard receiver in Manny Hazard who had the NCAA record in catches or of catches for a season until 2009. He'd also go on to play in Canada for a brief moment. I say all that to say that like this offense worked more or less because of Andre Ware, right? Chuck Weatherspoon was good, but he was a Canadian running back after that, right? Uh, 
Manny Hazard was good, but he was had a, a three year uh, career in Canada afterwards. Like those guys were really great college players. And Andre Ware, had he gotten a fair shot, might have been something different. And he certainly was the guy that elevated and escalated what was happening on offense. Um, if you know, I don't want to put words in Andre Ware's mouth. So I'm going to read a couple quotes from the guy in 1995. He's talking with the Orlando Sentinel about his chance to get to play in Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a relatively new franchise um, in the mid-90s, and people are looking for quarterbacks to come play. And uh, he was asked about, um, A, getting to play quarterback at all, and then B, his experience in Detroit. He said, quote, I'm doing something right now that I wasn't supposed to do. According to a lot of people a long time ago, this is 1995, again, he'd been drafted in the uh, spring of 90. Uh, according to a lot of people a long time ago, who said, I wouldn't play past college or even high school. I have beaten the odds, so to speak, and I have a lot to be proud of. He'd continue, as a black quarterback, sometimes you have to see where you are, not around four, five, six years to be groomed in the position. You have to succeed right away, or things are going to be different automatically after the first year, and you become a bust. It's unfair, but hopefully the NFL is turning a corner with that aspect. Within two months of these comments in the Orlando Sentinel, he was cut from the team. And, and again, I'm not... I'm not saying there weren't other things going on in each of these situations. Detroit went on. Detroit had Barry Sanders. Um, you know, they were going in a very diff- different direction. Jacksonville ended up going Brunel, going a very different direction. Right? I'm not saying that they didn't have other options or plans in what they were doing. Um, but I am, I am saying that there's something weird happening with all of this. Um, and it, you know, it didn't stop in his playing career. That was Jacksonville was the last shot in the NFL. He'd gone to play with the Argonauts, as I mentioned before, in 1997. But in 2014, um, I guess he would shortly in the 2000s and 20-teens become a, uh, an analyst with ESPN, specifically the SEC Network, which was an interesting call. Uh, and in 2014, uh, where was an analyst for ESPN, and the Crimson Tide fans took, you know, Alabama Crimson Tide fans can be crazy. They took real exception to what he had to say about quarterback Blake Sims and uh, quarterback Jake Coker, who were fighting out. Uh, for a quarterback spot in spring of 2014, it was undecided who was going to be playing quarterback between the two for the 2014-15 season, the upcoming year. Um, and Alabama had been like national champions a couple times in a short span. At this point, I can't forget exactly what the count was, but they won in what 09 and 11. They'd won a couple, right? And so, uh, college football playoffs are in the next year. And what's Alabama going to do, right? He watches their spring game and is analytically diagnosing the game and makes some comments that. He thinks Blake Sims is the better quarterback. Blake Sims is a black quarterback. Jake Coker's a white quarterback. And he says he's watching the game and Coker would be the, shouldn't be the starter. He thought that Blake Sims should be the starter. And um, he would then have to go clarify himself on a bunch of different ESPN shows. And a bunch of Alabama radio was really gnarly. A caller's into the radio. I shouldn't throw it. Caller's in the radio really gnarly. Um, and for what it's worth, the next fall, Blake Sims was the starter. The rolling tide, the crimson tide, roll tide, roll won the SEC. Uh, they lost 35-42 to 42 to the eventual champion Ohio State in the first round of the first ever college football playoff. And I don't know, if you give up 42 points to a backup third-string quarterback, it doesn't sound like your quarterback, Blake Sims, would have been the issue, Alabama, right? Like, it seems like not being able to tackle Ezekiel Elliott or Michael Thomas was a little bit bigger problem than who was taking snaps for Alabama that season when they were so close to winning a national championship with Blake Sims taking snaps like Andre Ware was trying to tell folks should have happened that spring. So this thing continues, right? Andre Ware has continued to, for lack of a better phrase, fight the good fight. Um, last few years, 
he and Houston Oilers famous uh, Hall of Famer Warren Moon, uh, Texas high school legend, I guess University of Texas college football legend uh, Vince Young created a Brothers in Arms Foundation. It's a diversity scholarship fund for kids from single parent households uh, that are student athletes who demonstrate leadership in athletics, work at work in their community, and live in the Houston area. Um, it's a really, really cool foundation. They do some really cool work. They have a golf tournament coming up in April if you want to get involved in those kinds of things. And he's giving back to the community compl- uh, continually. But it's a really cool foundation that he, Moon, and Young started. And frankly, as three black quarterbacks that kind of bucked a lot of trends and systems along the way. I mentioned Vince Young being the quarterback that won at Texas. Uh, first time they'd won a national title since integration. Warren Moon and all the work he did with Oilers and how hard his career was before he even got there. And then Andre Ware being, as we've outlined so far, um, really cool stories and backgrounds of how they got to the place that they are and all have their own ties to Houston. So, A, I'd say go check out that charity. But B, it's just cool to see his life continue and continue as an alum of the University of Houston. We're also going to talk some about a couple of alums uh, that played at Houston that got to play in the NFL playoffs this weekend, kind of evaluate their performances. But first, let's talk a little bit about betonline.net. Now, betonline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, news, analysis, all the things. Uh, You get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there. Pro football, basketball, baseball is coming up soon. It's all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, and if you've gotten 22 minutes into this one, I think you might. Uh, you can even find those at betonline.net as well. It's always the fastest and easiest way to find your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Betonline.net is where the game starts. My plug I've been saying all night is the Monday night game, uh, the last playoff game of the Super Deluxe Wild Card Weekend, is the, they're, the Dallas Cowboys are favored by three points going into Tampa Bay to play Tom Brady. Now, I like seeing the state of Texas do well in things, and so I'd like to see the Dallas Cowboys come out on top of that. However, I, I, I have a hard time putting my money against Brady in a, a playoff game at home, and so I'm going to just say I don't think it's more than three points. I'm going under. It could be a field goal at the end uh, you know, to, to put him over one or two points. It could be a, a gutsy two-point conversion in which Dak, you know, pitches to Zeke, pitches to who knows. Um, but I'm just, I'm not betting against a point spread where Tom Brady's an underdog at home in the playoffs. I'm not doing it, and I don't think you should either, but I do think you should do it at betonline.net, which is where the game starts. Now, in our final segment, I told you we'd look a little bit at a couple guys that played over the weekend. Uh, so I want to look a little bit at Ed Oliver, and we'll talk some about Landon Roberts as well. I should mo- mention that six Cougs were in action or uh, this week in the wild card. First of all, uh, we mentioned Ed Oliver and Landon Roberts. Uh, Case Keenum is the backup quarterback in Buffalo as well. Um, so he didn't get on the field. I, was, I thought there was a moment there where Josh Allen might get tossed for that dumb fight he kind of had with Christian Wilkinson. That didn't happen. But had it happened, we would have gotten to see Case Keenum. Oh, well. Um, Tyus Bowser is starting outside linebacker in Baltimore. They sure, sure had a tough one. Um, I'm not going to break down his game too, too terribly much. Um, but I will say that obviously Baltimore has every right to feel like they could have kept playing. They played a gutsy game with Huntley playing as a backup quarterback filling in. Um, and then it came down to a crazy fumble with like eight minutes left that led to a touchdown for Cincinnati, a, a backup and rotational corner for them is Demarion Williams, a little bit more familiar, recent face, very recent face. I should say, um, he got in the game some, not quite as much as Bowser, but you know, 
And then in tonight's Monday night game, uh, Logan Hall will be playing for Tampa Bay. Uh, so make sure you keep an eye out for him and say go Cougs. But on the exciting, one of the more exciting games of the weekend, you had Buffalo and Miami playing down to the wire. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit first about Ed Oliver Ed Oliver. Um, had a huge eight yard sack in this game was the fastest sack of the game. 3.5 seconds. That means from the snap of the ball until he got to the quarterback on the ground, it was just three and a half seconds. Not a whole lot of time, especially when we realize that Oliver has to go through a 345 pound man to get to said sack. Um, I will say that that was one of the few plays of the game based on double team an- analytical data that it looks like he got a single team uh, as far as like blocking coverage goes. He did have just two and a half tackles. At a, uh, again, I, I assume that's because he was eating up blocks for other guys to come through and get free. Um, but on the whole, that sack from Ed Oliver really did kind of slow the momentum down for Miami. They would eventually score on the drive. They were like going, 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 going fast, 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 stopped. Had to kind of reset and get going a long drive before scoring. And frankly, they kind of needed every second. And so the way that slowed the, the drive down for them was big. Um, Ed Oliver continues to be a very impressive Houston Cougar product. He was, you know, the highest ranked recruiting and highest ranked recruit in modern recruit rankings when he came into the U of H um, big five-star, whatever. He just wanted to stay home. And that was awesome. Um, until the whole fight made it wide about the jacket or whatever, but it's really cool to see him get after it. Um, I also think it's interesting that he was, uh, he ended every pass play, an average of just under four yards from the quarterback, which again, I feel like people look at it like, well, he starts a little over five yards. So that's not even getting that close. But when you think about like, he's going through a constant double team because of that high double team rate uh, as an interior D lineman, that's pretty impressive for a big fella, especially considering he played a ton of snaps in this game. And uh, again, I, I just, if you're a guy that likes big guy football, you've got to keep your eyes on Ed Oliver. He's a ton of fun, big 91 to go watch. Guy had a little bit less fun on the day was a Landon Roberts. Um, Alana Roberts did have three total tackles and played a bunch of snaps for Miami's defense. And Miami's defense, I think, frankly, played pretty well because they're how long they're on the field for big stretches. Um, but I think I think Miami's playing a Landon out of out, out of position. He's listed as an inside linebacker, but because they go so many nickel sets, he's kind of playing more at the edge of the box. And his name got kind of caught in a bad spot when you're watching Bill's highlights um, because on a big handoff early in the game to james cook around i guess it's buffalo's left edge miami's right edge um landon roberts is too slow so what happened on the play here is that james cook gets the ball and they're kind of running an inverted zone read where he they're leaving the defensive end unblocked and the the running back is running towards the defensive end so josh allen can either keep it and run his own zone read away from the defensive end they're reading or he can give in the defensive end can kind of run out or the running back can get outside. The defensive end looks like from the jump, he is on what we would call a chase call where he is like backside booking it down the line of scrimmage. He is not playing the C gap at all. He's like playing the B gap from an outside alignment and taking away that read. And what it's supposed to do is trigger the linebackers read and make it easier. Right. I mean, linebacker knows, okay, if they're in the football, I know he's playing it like that. So I know I got to get outside. And Elena Roberts starts heading outside, and I'm watching them play over and over again here on loop because what I got pulled up right now. He starts heading outside, and then very quickly, James Cook just kind of like stares at him, and he's and and Elena Roberts is stuck after that. Uh, Cook bounces it. You see Roberts stick a hand out like he's trying to grab onto something to pull him down, and he's just he's just not quite fast enough. Um, again, I think the problem there to me is that Elena Roberts is really great between the tackles guard to guard. He is a great linebacker. 
why is why is Miami lining him up in this position? And if they're lining him up in this position, why is the defensive end taking away the B gap and forcing C gap runs where he's going to have to go chase guys like James Cook down outside? That make a whole lot of sense to me. I know Mike McDaniel's an offensive genius. This seems like a not great defensive play call. I I wonder if it's um, a miscommunication between he and the end, or if it's just getting an athlete with a scheme that requires different athletes. Um, Cause again, Landon Roberts is very good between the guards, very good inside tackles. Um, that that was a kind of a very visible moment to why he's not known for doing stuff outside of that. Now I think Landon Roberts will get to continue playing the NFL. I don't mean it's that kind of game at all. Um, I just think it's interesting to see where he will end up. And um, frankly, he had, again, he had three tackles in the game. He played very well inside stuff. Uh, was actually decent in coverage on a couple tight end Gasecki kind of stuff. Um, that just wasn't very good. And it's high, like a big time highlight from the game. And it's kind of at his expense. And so I, I do feel like we need to address it. If you got stuff you think we need to address, you can find me on Twitter at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, Be Real, TikTok, whatever. All your social media handles, you can find me there to talk all things Cougs, football, basketball, what have you. Uh, we can talk about the Rockets, the Astros, the Texans and what they're going to do, whatever you'd like to talk about Houston sports, make sure you find me at Painsworth 512 P A I N S W O R T H 512 on Twitter and Instagram. To make sure we talk about all things Houston all the time. I also got sneaker wall. We can talk about sneakers. If you like, that's more your jam. Uh, if for, you're looking for a second, listen today, because we talked football all day today, I'm going to recommend going to locked on college basketball for more college basketball kick. Kind of a big weekend in college basketball. Houston did not play over the weekend, but Houston uh, certainly will see where they end up in the rankings on Monday after some big, big wins for Kansas, who's right behind us, but some big, big losses for teams a few spots further behind us. So I don't know what's going to happen. Make sure to tune into Locked on College Basketball. We hear Andy and Isaac break those kinds of things down. Thank you all so much for listening to Locked on Cougs today and making us your first listen. Locked on Cougs, your primary Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Cougs!